This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. I'm interviewing Dr. Morgane Fontan from the Nicholas Copernicus Astronomical Center in Poland. Uh, I'm James Stringer. Hi, Morgane. Hi. Tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm a nuclear astrophysicist. I work at Copernicus Center in Warsaw in Poland. And I, I mean, I study neutron stars. I try to understand what neutron stars are uh, made of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I develop some models for the interior of neutron stars and then calculate properties of neutron stars, which we could potentially observe with various instruments like telescopes. I mean, in the electromagnetic spectrum and also a gravitational wave detectors. So... Give us a quick history about neutron stars. So what makes them so interesting for us to study? So basically, neutron stars are um, very interesting because they are, I mean, small objects, like they have a radius of 10 kilometers, and yet they have a large mass, one to two times uh, the mass of the sun. So they are extremely dense objects. And we believe that, I mean, a neutron star is composed of two parts. The crust of a neutron star is composed of atomic nuclei, which we can, to a certain extent, study in laboratory and and produce in laboratory, but with experiments on Earth, we cannot reproduce an access matter which is in the core of neutron stars, so at the very center of the star. So basically, we don't know what neutron stars are uh, made of, and this is why they are extremely exciting, and also they they are extreme objects, so in terms of density, in terms of gravity, they have an extremely large gravitational field. Some neutron stars also have very large magnetic fields, Mm -hmm. so all these very extreme properties make them great subjects of of study, and that's why I really like working on them. Hmm. So do you work on neutron stars, or neutron stars and pulsars as well? So, no, I really work on on neutron stars. So the distinction between neutron stars and pulsars being that a pulsar is a neutron star which can be observed in uh, radio or in gamma rays. So every... Hmm. Pulsar is a neutron star, but not every mm-hmm. neutron star can be observed yeah. as a pulsar. And pulsars, they spin very fast, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned that you use these neutron stars as astrophysical laboratories. What exactly does that mean? So as I mentioned, so we can only probe a bit of the upper part of neutron stars in, in laboratories, so we don't know what's inside neutron stars. And developing modeling for the interior of neutron stars is really tricky because this is a system composed of many particles in nuclear interaction, and there is no solution that is known for such a system. Very, I mean, this is a system which is really complicated to study. So right now, we do not know what neutron stars are made of and what's the properties of uh, the nuclear matter inside neutron stars. And so by uh, measuring properties of neutron stars, the hope is to try to better understand what's inside neutron stars and so to put some constraints on the properties of the nuclear interaction. So what kind of matter are we talking about? So we know that like the outer crust is atomic matter. How does the core compare to that? So is it like the nucleus of an atom, or is it something completely different? No, so the crust is, uh, I mean, outer crust and inner crust is composed of atomic nuclei. The difference between the inner crust and the outer crust is that in the inner crust, in addition to regular atomic nuclei, you also have neutrons that escape from the, the nuclei, and so they compose a, a sort of liquid, a superfluid, actually. Mm-hmm. And at the transition between the core and the crust, at the transition which is, roughly speaking, the average density inside an atomic nuclei, the um, the nuclei will disappear. And so the central part of the neutron star, the core, will be composed of an homogeneous mixture of neutrons, protons, electrons, muons, and maybe uh, some additional particles, mm. like hyperons. So how exactly do you uh, model the neutron star core and crust? How how do you describe it using, like, say, maths or using models or how? So as I mentioned, like... Modeling the interior of neutron stars is complicated because it's a many-body system 
Uh, what do you mean by that? Basically, I mean, what you do consider is a large number of particles, typically electrons, protons, uh, muons, and neutrons. And this is in, in nuclear interaction, and there is no solution for this. I mean, this is a problem which is still the topic of a lot of research, and there is no uh, solution known. So there are different approaches to describe such a, such a system, and one of the approaches that I use is a phenomenological approach, in the sense that I use a given model for the nuclear interaction, mm -hmm. which is largely uh, actually unknown. Uh, I use a given model for the nuclear interaction, which I put into my model that describes either nuclei or either homogeneous mixture of particles, like you find so in the that core. So you sort of like a amorphous blob of particles. Sort of, yes. Yeah. And so based on this given model for the nuclear interaction, I calculate... The, what we call the equation of state mm -hmm. of a neutron star, which roughly speaking describes the properties of matter inside neutron stars. And for this given equation of state, which depends on the model I take for the nuclear interaction, I also calculate properties of neutron stars, for example, the mass and the radius of neutron stars. Mm -hmm. And those are quantities which are measured or which will hopefully be measured in the mm -hmm. near future. And so the game then is to try to measure mass and radius and confront this to results of models that I typically obtain, and then you can mm -hmm. exclude so, some, some model of the yeah. nuclear interaction. So your models predict the mass and radius of a neutral star with a sort of given chemical makeup, or not chemical makeup, but nuclear makeup. Yeah. And then hopefully by measuring the mass and radius of these stars, you can then fit your models. Exactly. Later. So it's like, yeah, two ways. Like you, yeah. you take a model for the nuclear interaction, you calculate mass and radius of neutron stars, and then if you measure these properties, you can hope to put constraint okay. uh, on, on the nuclear interaction. So that then leads on to the next question. How do you measure these mass and radii of the neutron stars? So masses of neutron stars, uh, I, I can't remember what's the exact number now, but we do measure masses of neutron stars. Uh, so this is typically done for um, like... The most precise technique uses radio observations of neutron stars, so of pulsars. And so if this is relatively standard for uh, a neutron star which is in a binary system. Now, measuring the radius of neutron star is much more tricky, and there are a couple of techniques of models that are used in, in the literature, but there are large uncertainties at the moment, so there is no non-controversial measure of the radius of neutron star. However... Uh, for a couple of months now, um, there is this instrument on board of the International Space Station, which is called NICER. It's an American mission, and the, one of the only purpose of NICER is to measure the radius of neutron stars. And so this is very exciting, because for the moment, the only constraint we have on the properties of neutron stars comes from mass measurements. Mm. So how exactly does NICER measure the radius of the neutron star? It uses various techniques, but one of the techniques it uses is to try to model the, the pulse emission of neutron stars uh, in, in X-rays. And once you observe this pulse emission, you use different, uh, a given model, and from this model you can recover the radius of neutron mm. stars. So this emission does occur on like a neutron star surface as it rotates? Exactly. So like near the poles? Potentially, yes. I mean, this is, I believe, also not really well known, but mm. yeah. The idea is that you have... For example, a hot spot, so region of your star, which is hotter than the rest of the star, and then as the neutron star rotates, you will see pulses. So uh, these pulses will, will correspond to the, the moment uh, where you will see this hot spot. Mm. And the sort of location of the hot spot can give you some sort of idea of size of the star. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. And back to the mass, how does a neutron star being in a binary, or a pulsar being in a binary, allow you to measure its mass? So um, this is possible because if your neutron star is in a binary, you can measure what we are called Keplerian parameters, which describe the properties of the binary. And if in addition, 
for example, with uh, radio observation, you can measure some quantities which describe relativistic phenomena. For example, what is called the Shapiro delay, etc. Um, with this additional measurement, you can recover the the mass of the neutron star. So the effect of the uh, neutron star on like the signal that the pulsar emits uh, is dependent on the mass, right? Yes. And then you measure it by measuring the effect it has on the pulse. Yeah, it's a rather so, complicated topic and mm-hmm, <laughs> rather yeah. technical. So it's, it's quite hard yeah. to sort of talk about measuring pulsar masses without getting too far into the relativistic side of things. Yes. By nature, that's how they are. So, um, what are our current sort of best guesses about neutron star compositions beyond the atomic crust, or are there just too many competing models for us to talk about? <laughs> I guess it would depend who you ask, but in my <laughs> opinion, I would say we rather yeah, we don't really know what's inside a neutron star. For example, something I've been working on recently is whether there could be hyperons in the core of neutron stars. So hyperons are baryons like the neutron and the proton, but in addition to up and down quarks, like you find in neutron and protons, you have strange quarks. And they cannot exist, I mean, in, on Earth, they can be produced in laboratory, but they decay quickly. They could be present at the center of neutron stars at high density. And so um, recently, we, with colleagues from Portugal and, and Italy, what we did is to try to take into account all our current knowledge on the properties of hyperons from laboratory experiment and build model of neutron stars with hyperons. And so what we find is based on the constraints we have. So for now, the only constraints are from the uh, mass measurements. We cannot say whether hyperons are present or not inside neutron stars. Mm. So, so could these be tested on Earth and like the LHC, for example? Is that where they'd be detected? Yes, I know. I mean, the LHC probes uh, hot, uh, dense matter and neutron stars, it's really, I mean, relatively cold, <laughs> dense matter. So yeah. the LHC is not... Uh, so much suitable for that, but you have specific experiments, for example, in Japan, etc., which aim at measuring the properties of hyperons. So these are a cold, dense matter rather yes, than exactly. dense matter. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Bearing in mind, neutron stars are still what, 10 to the 6 Kelvin? Even so a bit more, like up to 10 million, to the 9. Million, 10 million Kelvin. Yes, exactly. And that's considered cold. Yes, <laughs> relatively, so, yeah. So how does this link to nuclear physics in a more general sense? How could these measurements of neutron star compositions affect our knowledge of nuclear physics in a more like down-to-earth general sense? So we basically don't know much about the nuclear interaction. So any knowledge we can get from any observable is very welcome. And so neutron stars will give some information on, on the on the nuclear interaction and, and so to better understand it. And By nuclear action, do you mean like what kind of force are you talking about with nuclear interaction? The, the strong force. The strong force? Yes. Do you want to give a bit of introduction about the strong force? Because I'm not sure everyone knows what strong force is. So the strong force is what keeps together like an atomic nuclei, basically. So... If it's not nuclear uh, like we know, then what kind of exotic matter options are there for the composition of these neutron stars? Some models predict that in the core of neutron star, you just have sort of regular matter in terms of neutrons, protons, electrons, and muons. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, right now, you cannot exclude there that you have also hyperons. Mm-hmm. So particles like the neutron and the proton with, in addition, some strange quark. But you have other models predicting some what we call exotic particles, uh, for example, kaons or pions. Or uh, there are also models predicting that at the center of uh, neutron stars, you have strange quark matter. So deconfined quark matter. And that's not found on Earth at any no. way at all. That's really cool. One of the sort of big words going around, sort of practical astronomy right now, is multi-messenger. Yeah. And I read that you're using multi-messenger approaches to observe these sources in the sky. What does it actually mean by multi-messenger? So... Um, 
right now I've only mentioned measurement of the mass and radius of neutron stars, but I mean, a couple of months ago in August, um, the LIGO-Virgo collaboration managed to observe gravitational wave, uh, waves emitted by binary uh, neutron star system. And this is interesting because it allows to measure additional quantities. So not only the mass and the radius, but also what what is called the tidal deformability. So basically, this is a measure of how the shape of the neutron star will be deformed due to the gravitational potential of the other star. And so by this new, um, this additional quantity will give us some additional information on the properties of neutron star and so on the properties of uh, the nuclear interaction. So by the way this uh, neutron star rotates, it creates different patterns of gravitational waves, right? Yeah. So this is combined with uh, measurements across the EM spectrum, I imagine, as well? Yeah. So in practice, I do not work on observations. I mean, I don't do observations of neutron stars in any, I mean, in radio, gamma ray, etc. What I use are measurements that are obtained with observations, either in the electromagnetic spectrum or now in terms of gravitational waves emission. So what do you see um, the future of this field looking like? Well, do you think it's going to over the next six months or so, or even a year? So... Well, frankly, this is very exciting right now. I think it has never been so exciting, at least as far as I can mm. tell. So we hope to have uh, soon, rather soon, I, I guess it's a matter of a couple of months, some, some measurement of the radius of neutron star from NICER, mm-hmm. this American mission on board of the International Space Station, and also um, the next run of observation from uh, the LIGO-Virgo observatories will provide some additional measurements of, for example, the tidal deformability. And so we do expect a large number of measurements for different types of system. And so, yeah, this is very, very exciting mm-hmm. because potentially we could constrain really what's inside, I mean, understand what's inside neutron stars. And so what kind of um, impact would constraining this have on other fields of pulsar or neutron star astronomy? How would knowing what neutron stars are made of uh, affect our knowledge of you know, how neutron stars are born, how they evolve over their lifetime, uh, how they emit radiation, that kind of thing? I tend not to distinguish between these different fields. I usually like think in terms of uh, sort of synergy of all those different fields aiming mm-hmm. at understanding the interior of neutron stars. Now, for example, if we infer that you have hyperons inside neutron stars, this mm-hmm. could be interesting because potentially there could be some very cool neutron stars, cool in terms of low temperature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess they're cool in both senses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess one of the bigger questions here, we to sort of finish this off, is you're obviously women in physics. What kind of advice have you got about aspiring women in physics? And what kind of advice do you give to someone who wants to become a astrophysicist, a physicist, a scientist, any sort of STEM field? Well, I would say just like follow your uh, follow your passion, for, follow your heart, and just like you will always meet people who think you don't belong here, but just try to really work with people you appreciate and who support you. And and it's not easy. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to sort of fight with people mm. who don't accept or make you feel not welcome here but yeah keep i mean follow your really your heart and and your passion that is great <laughs> advice so thank you very much for joining us um thank you for Morgan. having me i hope you had an interesting time in manchester thank you for and, the invitation um, thank you very much bye <laughs>